complicated system, but I'd rather it be hot than cold, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yes. Are you all right, ma'am? Doing all right? Yeah? Okay. I want to look at something which I've been thinking about for a long time, and it's led into quite a few other things. Um, the altar of our heart. I want to talk about our heart. So that's the question. How is your heart? I don't just mean your physical heart. It's, it's actually quite interesting. When my mom was in hospital, it was a heart problem. But because there was a heart problem, there were lots of other problems as well. And you know, we've, we've been praying about all the different things that were wrong, weren't, weren't we, Matt? There was, there was pneumonia, there was cellulitis, sepsis, other things. And we were saying, well, how can you fix these things? And the consultant was saying, if we get the heart right first, these other things will be easy to fix. I thought, wow, that is so spiritual. We've got to get our heart right to fix everything else. So my question is, how's your heart? And then as I was looking at it, our heart is the altar in this temple that we live right now. So I want to look at, first of all, the altar and what it was and what it symbolized back in the Old Testament. The altar was a, a raised structure in the tabernacle and in the temple where they would sacrifice. And these sacrifices were made of, of animals and they were made to God for His glory. They were there to wor for worship. Um, I got a picture of the temple. You could put that up if you if you if you got it, eh, Evan. This is a bit bright on it. I don't know whether you'll be able to see it very well. When it's, I've got a couple of only two slides. One of the temple. Um, now, when the temple was built, it was built with precision. God is very precise, and you can see the walls there as they come around. Use your imagination. <laughs> God gave instructions, and He gave very precise instructions, because it was a very important place to come. And the reason why, I'll, I'll come on to in just a moment. And inside the temple, as they approached, there was the altar. Now, the altar was in front of the holiest place. There's a lot of significance about this. It wasn't just ad hoc. It wasn't just, oh, we'll, we'll build it here, or we'll put it over there, or we'll build it this big, or, or that big. Now, the altar was 30 square feet. It was 15 foot high. There's the temple. Can you see it? Now, the outer walls with the pillars, that's the outer walls of the temple. These were the outer courts. And then the inner courts, that's the inside court there. Then the Holy of Holies, the holy place was the big building there. And then inside there was the Holy of Holies. Now, just in, in through that little gate there, see the little gate going into the holy place? That's where the altar was. Show us the next picture if you've got that. This is, you see that, that building there? There's the altar. And there are the priests on the altar. It was huge. 
it was a big thing. It wasn't sometimes in your mind's eye you can't imagine what these these buildings were like. Just leave that there. The altar was used for celebration, to commemorate and to celebrate different events. It was used for repentance, the removal of sin and forgiveness, those sacrifices. It was also used for worship and adoration and devotion and consecration. It all had to go through the altar. Everything had to go through the altar. You had to go through the altar to get to God. God was in the Holy of Holies. The Shekinah glory of God, they described it as, sat on top of the mercy seat, which was on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was inside the Holy of Holies, behind the huge curtain. I remember speaking about the curtain a few, was it Easter maybe? It was so huge that it took several priests to be able to even move it. Or touch. You couldn't. It was so huge and heavy. And on the altar, you see on the corners, there were four horn-shaped objects. This symbolized power and strength and salvation and security. The horn was an emblem of strength. And anyone who, who was looking for asylum or refuge or security, they could run to the altar and hang on to the horns on the altar. And it's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 50 that Adonijah was one of these people. He ran in, in fear of Solomon. He took hold of the horns of the altar where he would be granted safety and security. These symbolize everything that happened in the, in the tabernacle, everything that was built, everything that was built in the, in the temple, all symbolized Christ and what we've just remembered here and His sacrifice and His blood. Those horns symbolize His strength the security that we find in Him when we take hold of Him. And the writer in the book of Hebrews, he writes to the Hebrew people, the Jews, and he's explaining all of this. You know you had the temple. Well, this symbolized this. And when you did this, that was for this reason. And he explained to the Jews exactly why they did what they did. And in Hebrews 6, verse 18 to 20, he said, We who have fled, take hold of the hope offered to us. May be greatly encouraged. They knew what that meant when you take hold of, of that, the altar, that security. So he was speaking in language that they understood. And verse 19 says, we have this hope, this anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So he was taking all these symbolic things and saying, this is just a shadow of what we've already witnessed, Jesus Christ. This all happened before him. This was the, the tradition. This was the way it was always done. And they thought that was, that was it. That was the way it had to be done. They didn't realize that this was just a, a forerunner of what was to come. And that is Jesus Christ. You see, before Christ, the, 
the forerunner of even before the priests was Aaron and Moses. And Moses would, went into the tabernacle before they had the temple. The tabernacle was a, a movable structure that they could take around with them while they were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. When they established themselves, then they built a permanent place. The tabernacle was like a tent. It was a, you could put it up and put it down. And Moses would go into the tabernacle and he would sprinkle everything with blood. And he would say, this is the covenant of God. This is the covenant of God. You can see where it's all come into a head, can you? You see, because that was a forerunner of the covenant of God. And this is why Jesus said, if you heard about the covenant, I bring you a new covenant. You see, Christ was not a copy. He was the original. What they had in the Old Testament was the copies, the symbols, the forerunners, the shadows of what was to come. Peter said this. I'm going to read a few verses, different verses from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world. So it wasn't as if God thought, well, hang on. Right, yeah, we got these sacrifices. We got the temple. I know, I'll bring, I'll give them Jesus and he can carry on. No, no, Jesus was the first thought. But it wasn't, he wasn't ready to come just yet. So they had to have something in its place. The plan B came before the plan A, if you know what I mean. Jesus was the plan A. He was part of the original. He is the new covenant. He brought the new covenant. And this is why he said when we, when we come around this, this table, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I'm just trying to give you the, the sort of background of what we're talking about when we look in the New Testament. We talk about our bodies being the temple and, and, the, and uh, we've got to take care of the temple and be careful and, and our heart is how important it is. And I'm trying to just give you a background of this is all what it was established on. So after you had the tabernacle, you had the temple, then you had Christ. Now we are here. We've we moved on from the era of Christ, and we're now in this era. But it's quite significant as well that when Jesus walked the earth, the temple was around, yeah? They would go to the temple, they'd offer sacrifices. But there was something different about the temple in Jesus' time. It was called Herod's temple. He, he rebuilt the temple. The massive significant and the difference between that temple and the temple of, of old in the Old Testament was the glory of God was not there. The Shekinah glory of God that dwelt over that Ark of the Covenant had disappeared. And, it, and you can read about it in Ezekiel 10 and, and, and 11, chapters 10 and chapter 11. 
the, the glory of God, if you read through it, if you can get through it, read it in a new translation, I'm saying, because you think Revelation is hard to read? Read Ezekiel. Ooh. Talks about wheels within wheels. Because Ezekiel was trying to, trying to describe these spiritual and supernatural beings that were coming in and out of the temple. And as they were coming in and out of the temple, he, could, he couldn't describe them. All he could see was colors and, and precious stones and, and wheels spinning. And, and, and it, was, it was incredible just to read how he's trying to describe this. But in his descriptions, he said he, he saw the glory of God lift and move out of the temple, into the courts, to the gate, and out of the gate, the east gate, and away. The east gate is the gate that Christ comes back through. You see, the glory of God left the temple because it came back in the shape of Christ. And then when Christ left this earth, the glory of God, and He now what? Dwells in us. In us. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Don't you know, Paul is saying, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? So God's glory left the temple. It dwelt on earth in Christ. And when Christ ascended, he said, I will send you the Comforter. I will send you the Holy Spirit. And he will dwell in you. And I will dwell in you. So now, all that went before, the huge effigies that they would build and the precise and the precision of the building. And then Jesus. Now, we are the temples. He dwells in us. Only the priests were able to tend at the altar. They were the only ones allowed to offer the sacrifices. They were the only ones allowed to go into the, the holy place. And only the high priest once a year was allowed to go into the holy of holies. So how, how on earth could, could we, how could we have any connection to being priests to tend this temple? Revelations chapter 1 and verse 5 and 6 says, To him who has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he has made us kings and priests. Peter said, 1 Peter 2 and verse 5, You also are like lively stones being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So yes, all of this is contained now in us. The temple, the spirit dwelling. So where is the altar? The altar is our heart. This is why I said right in the beginning, how's your heart? Is it dedicated to God? Is it sprinkled with the blood? Moses would sprinkle the altar and he would say, the covenant of God. So how's your heart? 
is it's sprinkled with the blood. And is he able to say over you the covenant of God? As we are temples, he dwells in us. The central thing, the first thing was the altar. They couldn't get to the, the glory of God. Where's that picture? Put the temple back up. They couldn't get to that holy place until they went through the altar. They could try and circumnavigate and go around it, but it was always there. It was there. It was huge. You can't get into the holy of holies unless you go through the, the temple, uh, through the altar. If you tried, you would die. We can't get any closer to God until we go through our heart. Our heart has to be right. Exodus 40 and verse 29 says, these were the instructions. He set the altar of burnt offering near to the entrance of the tabernacle. It has to be at the entrance. It has to be the place where God dwells. We can't go around it. We can't go around our heart. We can't just come to God with our minds. We can't just come to Him with our emotions. We can't come to Him with our lifestyle. We have to come to Him through our heart, our very being. Our heart is the altar, our very life. Is the words of that song, He demands my life. He demands my all. It's all or nothing with Him. And sometimes we, and we're all guilty of this, I'm guilty of this as well, we allow things to come before God. We allow His light to shine around these things and we place other things in the way of the altar. We can't seem to get to God because we've put things there. Perhaps we can see the light shining around. It's like an eclipse. There's something right in the way, the central thing in our life, and, and God's light is shining around, and it's like an eclipse in our life. We need to move it. You see, He wants to be center stage. He doesn't want to be in the wings. Sometimes we like to take center stage. Sometimes other things in our life, sometimes our family, sometimes our career, sometimes our possessions, they like to take center stage. And Christ is over here going, hey, yeah, 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 okay, I'll put a chair there for you. You're all right, you know? You say, no, I've got to be there where you are. I've got to be there where that is. I've got to be there where you've moved that into the middle. Right in the center. How's your heart? Romans 6, verse 11, reading a few verses there. Paul said, In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer. We offer in ourselves. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Are you offering yourself on this altar? 
And it's sometimes at times like this that we say, Lord, I want to offer myself. And you put yourself on the altar and you say, oh, it's all for you, God. I'm going to make you center stage. But on the Monday, we get off the altar and something else takes its place. I'm as guilty as everyone. And this is why Paul said when he was writing to the church in Corinth, examine your motives. Test your heart. In other words, you say, how's your heart? Because that is going to be important going forward for everyone. I'm writing these things down. I've said it so many times that Christ is not part of our life. He is our life. Some find it a struggle to make Christ central one day a week on a Sunday, let alone every day, let alone the center of their life. And this is mainly what I want to talk about. The other bits about the altar, just set this up so you can see how important this is. The altar is important. It's important in the temple, and so is our heart important in this altar. We initially come close through sacrifice. There has to be sacrifice. There has to be sacrifice on this altar. Some things have to be sacrificed. Paul talked about dying daily. Some things have to die. Self has to die. Some things in our life have to die. Our old life, our old ways has to die. They need to be sacrificed on the altar. Gone. But sometimes God will not allow us to get close to Him because we are sacrificing in the wrong attitude. And he, the examples of this are in the Old Testament. If our attitude is unforgiveness, if we got unforgiveness in our heart and we, and we come and we try to, you know, offer our praise and our, our worship, and, and this is why Paul again is saying, be careful. <sighs> Do you know? Sometimes we don't read into that enough. Paul actually says some people are sick and others are dead because of their attitude and the way they treat God with contempt. Sometimes God doesn't accept our sacrifice because of unbelief, because of deceit and lies, because of jealousy, unf unrepented sin. In Isaiah, he said this, Isaiah chapter 1, reading a couple of different verses here, verse 11, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings. And then in verse 13, he says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. And then he actually says to the people, your incense is detestable to me. Wow. Imagine. Us coming and bringing our sacrifice of praise. And God's going, this means nothing to me. Why? How's your heart? Check your heart. What are your motives? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15 down to 18. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. I love verse 18. Come now. 
I love the way God doesn't just dismiss us and say, get away from me. He says, come, let us reason together. You know, the Jews, if you talk to the Jews, they love to reason. They love to debate. They love to argue. And God, God says to them, come, let's reason this out. Let's talk about it, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. I could go into the whole story of the scapegoat and how they would put the ribbon of scarlet on them and set the, the scapegoat off into the desert. And, and when the, the ribbon on the, the temple went white, the scarlet went white, that's when they knew that the sacrifice had been accepted. And he's using the same words to them here. Look, I know your sins are like scarlet. They're red, but I can make them white. Let's just be reasonable here when you come before me, he's saying. Don't come before me willy-nilly, slipshod. There's an old saying, isn't there, that angels rush in where fools rush in where angels fear to tread. This is why I said earlier, let's just be very careful of what we've got. I think it's quite reasonable, don't you? When we come to Almighty God. And something else which I've been looking at recently. And it's cleanliness. Do you notice what he says there in Isaiah? Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. I'm doing a bit of a study on cleanliness at the moment. I'll probably bring it in a preacher in a few weeks' time. But the altar had to be cleaned daily. Imagine the amount of ash and sacrifice and bits of whatever they burnt on there. It had to be cleaned. It had to be thoroughly washed down. It had to, all the ash had to be taken away. It had to be cleaned for the sacrifice. We need to make sure that our heart is clean for the sacrifice. How do you stay clean when people fail you? How do you stay clean when relationships fail? How do you stay clean when you feel you've been hard done by, when people have offended you? How do you stay clean when you haven't got your miracle that you've been praying for? Who do you blame? Do you blame yourself? Do you blame God? But we have to check our heart. We have to check the motives of our heart. The wise man said this, Proverbs 4, 23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life, because it's the center. It's the altar. And when we get that right, we sing these songs, don't we? Jesus be the center. We sang that song earlier. Only, only Jesus. What was it called, Lawrence? You think of it in a minute. If there's nothing else, it's Jesus. If we've got nothing else, if you don't get your miracle, if you don't get that thing you're praying for, even though people upset you, Christ is enough. He is enough. It's Him. He's our focus. 
you know, surface wounds heal. They're superficial, but as soon as it starts getting into the heart, that's when it makes a mark in our very being. And we can't allow that. We've got to guard our heart. We've got to clean our heart. Do you know that the, the part of the jobs of the, some of the Levites was to look after the altar? That's all they, that, that was their job. To clean it. To make sure the fire was still burning. The fire on the altar could not go out. It was their job. It's our job as priests of this temple to keep that altar clean. To keep the fire burning. Amen. To keep Jesus the main thing. Above all other things. And the other thing I loved when I was researching this. The fire had to keep burning day and night. And the high priest. The high priest represented us Jesus. The high priest could turn up at any time time to inspect the altar wow so those priests were the levites the younger priests were on their toes constantly making sure that altar was clean the fire is burning because at any time the high priest could come in and go how's the fire i'm come for an inspection let's turn that around when jesus comes and just inspects us all how are you doing? How's the altar? How's the temple? Wow. And when we see him, was it Jeremiah who had an encounter with God and he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Because sometimes we look at ourselves and go, oh, don't look. Don't come today, come tomorrow. It's not good, it's got to be every day. Wow. You see, all of this happened before so that we can live like this today in the freedom that Claire was talking about. That freedom that we now have. All of this happened before. The tabernacle, the temple, Jesus, His sacrifice. He is our high priest. He's taken His blood so that we don't have to sacrifice blood, but we have to maintain the altar of our heart because He's given us this freedom. And as I've been looking at this this week, it's been oh, really deep stuff. There's more. I might bring some more next week, but I got this other stuff that I'm bringing about being clean as well. Who can ascend the hill? The psalmist said, who can go into the temple? Who can come and worship? Those with clean hands and pure hearts. Let's not get familiar with this. maybe ask Lawrence to come back up. I don't know if you've thought of that song. I don't even know which one it was. It doesn't matter. But I just want us to have a time when we can just have a bit of self-examination. I'm not going to do some big appeal. But sometimes words like this make us look inside and go, wow. 
I needed that. How's your heart? And I'm not just asking you that question. I, I ask myself, Lord, some days, don't look at me today. Sometimes I relate it to like a, a child, you know. I know when my kids were little and they'd done something wrong and I'd know they'd done something wrong and I'd call them in front of me and I'd say, have you, what have you done? And they're like, oh, oh, oh. They won't even look at you, will they? Huh? Look at me. No, I'm not going to look at you. Tell me what you've done. Oh, I'm not going to look at you. Sometimes I get like that with God and I know I've messed up. I know I've said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, been the wrong thing, looked the wrong thing, whatever it is. And God goes, I come to inspect your heart. I'm like, don't. Can't even look at you. But then he says, come on, let's reason together. Though your sin can be like scarlet, it can be as white as snow. Let's reason together. 